Well, I'll admit to you, it's always a privilege and a little bit of a challenge to speak to y'all. In this family here, we are certainly diverse in our backgrounds and our experience. We've got folks in here who have been followers of Christ for over half a century. We've got folks in here who have just started down that road. We've got folks in here who pretty much life has been pretty gentle and pretty easy. We've got lots of you out there who are facing tremendous struggles. And so when you're called to come up here and stand and address y'all about something, it's always a challenge for me to try to decide what to speak on. So I, I pray that this morning my words can be something that can apply to each one of you in some way. I figured I'd bring the old acrylic pulpit up here so you could see my knees shaking. And before I get started, I appreciate my wife sharing this with me. It's always good to have your wife uh, help keep you in your place. This is some words from a man named Rich Mullins. I don't know how many of y'all know of Rich Mullins. If you're familiar with the song Awesome God or Step by Step, then you're familiar with some of the work of Rich Mullins, a wonderful songwriter who died, unfortunately, in a car accident somewhere in the mid to late 90s. The rich always had an interesting way of looking at, at life and the Christian life. and I thought this would apply pretty well this morning. He said, I had a professor one time. The professor said, class, you will forget almost everything I will teach you in here. So please remember this. That God spoke to Balaam through his ass. And he's been speaking through asses ever since. So if God should choose to speak through you, you need not think too highly of yourself. <laughs> All right, I get the point. In May of 1962, just a couple months before I was born, yes, I'm really that old, yes, I'm really that young. But General MacArthur gave what would be one of his final public appearances. And he was speaking to the Corps of Cadets at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Same academy that he had graduated from. Same academy that he had served at as superintendent between the two great wars. And there he was for the final time to speak to this group of men sitting in a place where he had been. And his memories went back. And he thought over the years how his mind and his heart always came back to that place. And time and time again, in that speech, he echoed back to three words which to him embodied all that a soldier should be. Duty honor, country. Now, I'm a former Air Force brat who was born in the U.S. Naval Academy Hospital, so I have no prejudice toward the Army. 
but the words duty, honor, and country. How beneficial it must be to be able to sum up all you are and all you're about and all your purpose in three simple words. The elders have chosen from amongst you a group of people who are working on the vision for this church for the next 10 years. We don't know exactly what that vision is going to say. I'm going to assume it's going to be more than three words. But if it's the right three words, who knows? But we look forward to that. But I thought how nice to be able to boil down your concept, your philosophy, your theology in such simple, easy terms. We'll leave it to a wise man like Solomon to do just that. Let me read from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, lest I misquote the man. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. There's that word again. Duty. Solomon says you can just put it down on something the size of a business card. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Thing is, Makes for a really short sermon. But then again, I realized, you know, God didn't send down a business card. He sent down 66 books. So he does give us some elaboration on the concept. He does give us some examples, some illustration. What does it mean? What does it look like to fear God? And keep his commandments. I'd be interested in hearing someone up here someday speak about the idea of fearing God. I wish we understood that concept better. I wish I understood that concept better. I don't think it's something we stress enough. But we'll save that for another day. And let me, before I go on, let me be real clear. My comments this morning are specifically directed to believers in Christ and followers of him. I know there may be some of you all in here who have not made that decision, who have not committed your life to following him. And I'll ask for your forgiveness in in this episode. Because the words I want to speak to specifically this morning, I'm speaking that they apply to those of you who have joined forces with the Lord, in other words. Soldiers of Christ as the old song says, or maybe you're a sailor for Christ or an airman for Christ, but either way, you've decided to follow him, you've decided to follow in his footsteps. And so this morning I want to speak on the concept, on the idea of what our duty is. And in following with all my public speaking training, I'm going to put it in three points. And I want to go in what might seem like reverse order, but we'll see how it goes. First of all, I think we as believers in Christ have a specific biblical given duty to the world at large. 
Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. In fact, we refer to that as the Great Commission. Now, I don't know everything about military life, but I know there's something about when you become an officer, you become a commissioned officer. I know that uh, artists and sculptors can sometimes be given a commission to fulfill a project. We, as followers of Christ, have been given a commission, a duty to fulfill. That is to go and make disciples of all nations. Romans 10 tells us about how will they believe unless they hear. And how will they hear unless someone is sent. We all have a responsibility to share that with the world at large. And let me go ahead and say, from what I can understand, what our duty to the world is not. In John chapter 3, verse 17, that's the verse after John 3, 16, says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. I don't believe that it's our job, it's our duty as Christians to the world that does not believe in God, that does not, who has not committed a following Christ, to condemn them. It's difficult for me to say, it's difficult for me to understand, but here's the way I see it. And this is the best analogy I could come up with. We play a sport here where you hit a ball and you run around the bases. We call that baseball. Simple enough. We play a game here where you throw a ball in a basket. We call that basketball. We play a game here where you ex- pretty much exclusively come in contact with the ball via your foot. We call that soccer. We don't call that football, but what do they call soccer over in Europe? Football. Over here, you know, football is a totally different animal. So imagine, if you will, being over here and speaking to somebody in Europe, and the conversation comes up about football. You had just played a football game, they had just played a football game, and you go to describing your football game. Well, you know, I picked the ball up and I tossed it to Fred and Fred threw it down and the guy on the other line says, wait, 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 wait a minute. You can't do that. What do you mean I can't do that? You're not supposed to pick it up with your hands. You're not supposed to throw it. And I say, well, sure you are. What kind of football are you playing? Playing football. Playing what I know to play. So, well, that's not in the rule. You're going against the rules. See, in my mind, we think we're playing the same game, but we're playing by two different rules. So when that soccer player is judging my actions by his rule book, it does, to me it doesn't apply. I find it difficult to approach somebody who does not hold these words 
to be God-given, and who has not committed to following these commandments, when I approach them and tell them that what they do is sin, how do they process that? To them it's not sin because they're not playing by the same rule book I'm playing by. Now it grieves me to see what goes on in this world, to see some of the things that people do. And I know God's word says it's against his will. But if they haven't accepted his will, then how are they going to accept my judgment upon them? I think to the world who has not decided to follow Christ, our responsibility to them, our duty to them, is to share Jesus with them. And I think when we share Jesus with them, I think the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is what convicts them. And I think when they make that decision to follow Christ, they make that decision to accept these words as applicable to their life, then I think they will see where their lives do or don't match up with God's will. And I think then they will see where they need to make a change in their life. Let me draw the circle now just a little bit tighter. I think Christians have a responsibility to share the gospel with the world. But I think we also have a unique duty, a unique responsibility to those of us in the family of Christ. Let me read to you what to me is a very difficult scripture from Luke 17. Starting in verse 3, and kind of in the middle of a thought there. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. We'll go back there to the start. If your brother sins, rebuke him. I don't know that I've ever sat in on a Wednesday night class on uh, how to rebuke your brother. How do we rebuke each other? Does it make you uncomfortable to have to approach your brother or sister and rebuke them? Would it make you uncomfortable to receive a rebuking from your brother or sister? That's a difficult thing. To use that idea of family, I know in my household, sometimes we each have to rebuke each other, and usually I'm the point of reception of that rebuking. But it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of love to want to rebuke your brother and sister. But that's our responsibility. And it's also our responsibility to be the kind of person that would appreciate the love of someone who would approach us and who would want to rebuke us. But also the Bible says that we're to care for each other. 
especially. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will receive a harvest if we do not give up. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And then he puts in there, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I think we have a unique responsibility to care for each other, to watch out for each other, to support each other, to encourage one another. The Bible is full of those one another verses. But that's our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ, above and beyond the duty we have to the world as a whole. And finally, let me draw that on just a little bit tighter. I think we each have a unique responsibility to God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Pretty simple, isn't it? Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Doesn't seem complicated. But what exactly does that mean? I go back to those words from Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now, you may want to draw your feet back up under your pew just a little bit. I don't know if I'm going to step on your toes or stomp on them. Just a couple of days ago, lots of folks spent lots of time and lots of money trying to express to someone how much they loved them. And it's not my aim to criticize that. But consider, what have you done to express your everlasting love to God. How do we do that? Hebrews 13, 15 says to bring a sacrifice of praise. When you came here this morning, did you bring a sacrifice of praise? Did it seem like a sacrifice to you? Back in Luke chapter 17, and I considered just spending the whole lesson in this little set of scriptures, a couple of real difficult things for me to understand, to comprehend, to, to process in my mind. <clears throat> you know, so many times when we hear about stories of feats of heroism, uh, typically there will be somebody with a microphone end up interviewing that person and start asking them, wow, why did you run into that burning house? Why did you jump in that frozen river? And usually the people just kind of acted on, on impulse. Uh, or if it's a fireman or a policeman, they'll just say something as simple as, I was just doing my job, what I'm paid to do. In Luke chapter 17, when I think about our duty as Christians, Jesus says in verse 7, Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. 
would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my dinner, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Sounds kind of cold, doesn't it? Verse 10, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We each have responsibilities as followers of Christ to the world as a whole, to our family, and to our God. And maybe it's kind of a negative way to look at things, to think that when somebody does their duty, does their job, that if that gains some kind of special recognition or reward, maybe that says something about the rest of the folks. But to fulfill our duty should alone fulfill us. Now let me speak to the negatives of this concept. What should our inspiration be for serving the Lord? Should it be out of duty? Or should it be out of devotion? Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus was given it to the Pharisees. In verse 23, he says, Woe to you, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. They were seemingly fulfilling their duty their obligation, Jesus said, but there's still something missing. Jesus says in Matthew 15, he echoes the words of Isaiah chapter 29, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So the question is, does God want us to serve him out of duty or out of devotion? Yes. The answer is yes. I think back to the illustration of the military man again. Does he do what he's supposed to do out of duty? Because he's supposed to do it? Because they say, take that hill? Yes. But why is he a soldier in the first place? out of devotion to the country well, that flag is on his shoulder. So is he doing it out of love or is he doing it out of duty? Yes. Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Here am I, send me. We each have an obligation. Isaiah realized he had a duty to fulfill. 
And let me conclude with the words of John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. When we look back, when Jesus came here, all the obligations, all the duties of the law hadn't captured the people's hearts, and that's what Jesus wanted. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Similarly, I know when we raise our children, we have those rules that they've got to follow, but eventually you want to get to the point where you don't have to tell them the rules anymore, that they'll do it out of devotion. But for a while there, they've got to do it out of duty. I think it's the same thing with us. When our obligation to serve our Lord in the different ways that we have is a duty, I think that's fine. But I think there ought to be some devotion associated with that also. Some of us operate better out of duty. Well, if I got to do it, I'll do it. You know. Some of some of us operate better out of devotion. I want to ask and encourage you all this morning to consider both. We have a commission. We have a duty to this world. This world, without Christ, is going to hell. With or without the handbasket. It's our duty. God speaks and reaches them through us. We have a commission to reach out to them, to share with them. And brothers and sisters, I'm, I've no more fulfilled that obligation than anybody else in here. I need to refocus my intent. I need to look again at my orders from my commanding general and realize that maybe I'm not doing my duty in all ways that I should. But I also need to look and see, am I fulfilling my duty to my brothers and sisters? Am I being an encouragement to them? Am I caring for them? And when it's necessary, am I taking them over in the corner and trying to help them when I think they're getting off that path that I'm having trouble staying on too? Because next week, they may be the one taking me over in the corner and helping me out. And above all, we have a duty to our God to serve him. And really, we're doing that when we're doing these other two, aren't we? Duty, honor, country. It sounds simple in thought, but maybe it's difficult in the application. I appreciate you all listening to me this morning. I have no idea how long I've gone, if I've gone 12 minutes or 120 minutes. But I've gone as long as I'm going to go. We always conclude with what we call an invitation song. And our purpose is that as a family, we want to give you the opportunity to gather around our family table and to share anything that's on your heart that you want us to help you with. To pray with you, 
If you're here this morning and you've been studying God's word and you've decided to make that commitment, that we could help with fulfilling that decision, with taking your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and baptizing you into his body. This is simply an opportunity we take at this time. And to make it convenient, we always stand while we sing. So go ahead and stand and let's sing. Thank <clears throat> you.